Well, this week you have a sermon title. I think that's the first time I've ever been asked for a sermon title from this church. You've been letting me off the hook. But um, that was fine. I was willing to get one. And so you can see what our subject is going to be about today. Um, Now, I'm, I'm assuming that many of you are trying to witness, right? Doing what you can, keep it up. You know, I very recently talked to a man. I was showing him the book, Right Controversy, and he looked at the book and he said, uh, who wrote this book? He looked inside the cover and he saw the author's title. He said, I've read this book. He said, you're Seventh-day Adventist. I said, yes. He said, I'm, he said, I'm in a real hurry. He said, but well, I really want to visit with you. He had to go to a funeral. I'm still trying to connect with him. That was very recently. Very recently, too, I met a man who uh, he wanted to know who the book was written by. I was showing him Great Controversy. And I said, well, it's written by a Seventh-day Adventist. So he immediately knew that uh, one thing we stood for was the Sabbath, and another thing that we stood for was uh, a better diet. We had quite an intense conversation for just a few minutes. And one of the things the man said to me, he wasn't, uh, of course, he hasn't come to the conclusion yet, but he said, if Jehovah God wants me to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, he said, I'm willing to do that. It's amazing how the Lord's opening up people's minds. Now, when we got to talking about diet, he wasn't quite so persuaded. But I told him, I said, you know, diet is a moral issue, according to the Bible. And I referred him to Isaiah 66 that says when the Lord comes back, if you're eating mice or if you're eating pigs, you'll be consumed by the judgments of God. Eating is a moral issue. I was at a gas station and there was a young man pumping gas across from me. I had seen him in the gas station when I went to pay for my gas and I went to my van, I pulled out a great controversy, I said, young man, I said, I have a gift for you here. He took the book, he looked at it for a moment, he said, well, what's this book about? And I said, well, I said, this book is about famous Christians, it also shows you what's going to, what's happening to our freedoms in America, how they're going to be taken away, and this book also proves to you that this world is in a great controversy between God and the devil, and it shows you how you can be on the right side. He said, you know what, he said, I've been through a lot of trouble in my life recently, he said, I take this as a sign. And he thanked me and drove off. Getting out the books is a wonderful way to share the message. I'd like to talk to you today about, as you see in the bulletin, end time preparedness. We'll just look at a few points. Um, The subject of Jacob and his family in Genesis interests me very much, but there's only so much time in life, there's only so much time in a pulpit, and you have to keep moving on. 
But we need to be studying the books of Daniel and Revelation these last days because this is information that we absolutely must have. In fact, if you would, I'd like for you to go to your Bibles at first off in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> and I want to look at a verse there in Hebrews chapter 10. And then we'll go back to, to the book of, of Daniel. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. I'm looking at verse 32. Are you there? It says, but call to remembrance the former days. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Now there's two words in that text I want you to notice. It says, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. There's one word there, illuminated, and there's another word there, endured. Illuminated means light comes into the mind, light comes into the soul from God's word. Endured means that you stand up against the opposition that comes against you. You see that? So one is one of the concepts there is illumination, the other one is endurance. You know, after James talked about the, the story of Job, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We're coming to a time where we're going to need, to need to endure. Now, in the text, which comes first? The illumination or the endurance? Exactly. Brothers and sisters, we will not be able to endure what's coming unless we have been illuminated from God's word. And as it says in the Book of Controversy, I believe it's page 593, none but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. So illumination comes first and then endurance. There was a reason Job stood up against the pressure that the devil assailed him with. And that was because the man was illuminated. He didn't understand all the facts of what was going on, but he did know this. He knew that God was good, God was love, and he knew one thing, I am not going to break my loyalty to God no matter what gets thrown at me. And that's the kind of people that God's going to have on the earth at the time of the end. Now, in, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we have a, a, a scripture that I'm sure you're quite familiar with, right? Let's look at it. If you would, turn to the book of Daniel uh, chapter 12. And verse 1. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, we have a history of the empires of the world that are presented in Daniel chapter 7. Down the last verses of Daniel chapter 11, Daniel gives a description of the loud cry message going and the papal power rising to power and trying to dominate the earth at the end of time. And it brings you right down to the close of probation. And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Daniel says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Who's Michael? Jesus Christ, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, 
When Christ stands up, that means he stands up to take his kingdom. Probation is over. This is describing the close of probation. And when probation is over, then the greatest time of trouble that the world has ever seen is going to come. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be what? Delivered. Right? Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now, the book of Daniel, when you read the book of Daniel, chapter 12, of course, and other places in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel especially is focused on the end of time as well as the book of Revelation. So the book of Daniel, the prophecies of the book of Daniel are for the time of the end, and so are the stories of the book of Daniel for the time of the end. And you know, Daniel himself went through a time of trouble. Isn't that right? He's a teenage boy. Uh, uh, the Jews had come to such a point of apostasy that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to lay a siege against Jerusalem, and he took captives of the children of Israel. Now, Approximately 100 years before the time of Daniel, there was a king named Hezekiah who got sick. You know the story, right? He got sick, and the prophet Isaiah came to him, and he said, it's time to put your house in order. You're going to die. And Hezekiah rolled over in bed, and he wept. He said, you know what, Lord? He said, I've lived a good life. I've lived with a perfect heart before you. I really don't want to die right now. And God said, okay, I'll let you live a while longer. In fact, God said, I will give you 15 more years. And Hezekiah said, well, what sign am I going to have from you, Lord, that I'm going to live 15 more years? And so he requested of the Lord that God would turn the, the, the sun back on the sundial 10 degrees. Of course, that happened in Babylon and everywhere else, and the Babylonians heard about it. And so Hezekiah got well. The Babylonians came to see him. And after they left, Isaiah came to see the king Hezekiah, and he said, well, what did you show them? And he said, well, I showed them all my wealth. Well, instead of giving the Babylonians a Bible study, he showed him his nice new car and his nice palace, whatever he had. He didn't have a car, but you know what I mean. So instead of really witnessing for the Lord, he showed the Babylonians the worldly things that he had, and the Babylonians became covetous when they saw that, and they kept it in their mind. And Isaiah told Hezekiah, Isaiah the prophet told Hezekiah, he said, look, the day's going to come when your boys and your children are going to be taken captive by the king of Babylon and they'll be made eunuchs in Babylon. That, that day's going to come. In other words, to Jerusalem is coming a time of trouble. Well, you know, there were some mothers in Israel that believed the words that the prophets had said. They knew that there was a, a big challenge coming ahead for God's people. And they trained their children to be ready for a time of trouble. And when that time of trouble came, Daniel and his three friends were the exception of, we believe, from reading the book of Daniel amongst many of the Jews who were not ready for that time. And they stood faithful to God. You know, brothers and sisters... We're here on a battlefield. We are very near to the time of the end. I mean, the more I ponder on these things, I mean, the news is, is revealing prophecy being fulfilled so rapidly. I can't even keep up with it mentally. Uh, myself, I mean, just I get emails from um, Keep the Faith Ministry, and they give all kinds of things that are going on, the ecumenical movement, you name it. It's just like it's coming pretty, pretty fast. So the Lord is still giving us some time to get ready, and 
the message that God has given the Seventh-day Adventist church is the message that will get a people ready for the second coming of Christ. We have been given this information. But in order to stand faithful in, those last, in these last days and in order to be ready, we must be illuminated so that we can endure. We must be illuminated so that we can endure. So what I want to talk to you today about is the, the fact that we are now living in the great actual day of atonement, the pre-advent judgment time that was prefigured in the antitypical day of atonement. And there were some major things that God's people were required to do at that time. Okay, and we're going to look at some of those points. Now, let's go in our Bibles. I want to, <clears throat> you to go for a moment to the book of First Peter. First Peter. <clears throat> First Peter chapter four. <clears throat> One thing you're going to notice in the Bible often, in, in many of the books of the Bible, in, in fact, in one sense, you might say every single book in the Bible has a focus on the time of the end, in one sense. Now, some of them, in much more in particular, First Peter, First John, there's many of them, Book of Revelation, Daniel, that have that focus. But in First Peter chapter 4, before we look at verse 1, I want you to uh, notice here verse 7. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand, but the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. <clears throat> I want you to just think about time here a little bit. You know, there are those, in fact, Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3 that, that there are those who, at the time of the end, in which we are there, right before Christ comes, that there are those who will scoff at the idea of the near coming of Christ, Right? But look, whether you lived now, today, or you lived about 2,000 years ago when the book of First Peter was written, there is a time element that applies always to any generation because of the shortness of our lifetime. You know, a, a week ago, last Sunday, I was at the bedside of a dear friend of mine who uh, had been battling with cancer for about three months. And um, when I came to the house, his wife said, he will never leave that bedroom. Um, and um, I, I visited with him. I prayed with him, encouraged him. I said, you know what? I said, even if your mind is foggy, I said, trust in the Lord. He said, my mind is not foggy. He said, my mind is clear. Um, and I mentioned to him, when my father and I were visiting my sister many years ago, we found in some family belongings a slip of paper that had a note on it from my father's mother, my grandmother. It must have been written sometime before she died, and she said, I am soon to pass over Jordan, 
but Jesus will be with me all the way. I am soon to pass over Jordan, but Jesus will be with me all the way. And uh, four days later, after I left my friend, he passed away. Very, I didn't even think he'd go that quick, but he's gone now. You know, as you, as you th- think about your life and how quickly it has gone, brothers and sisters, help, may God help us to ab- absorb the reality that we are here on a very short journey. And the outcome of it is going to determine eternity. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That was a prophetic statement that applies especially to our time. Um, First Peter chapter four verse one. First Peter chapter four verse one. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. <clears throat> Peter says here that Christ suffered in the flesh. And he says we are to arm ourselves with the same mind. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This life in varying degrees, and we believe in the future at some time it's going to really grow in intensity, is a journey that involves suffering. Peter says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The very best protection that we can have, the very best help that we can have, is to model our thinking after the mind of Christ. He that has suffered in the flesh, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Arm yourselves, protect yourselves with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I promise you this, according to the word of God, that God takes no pleasure in anybody's sufferings, especially his people's. Nobody's, but especially his people's. He does not, he has no pleasure in that. He's a God of love. But God will allow us to be disciplined and tried and pained and tested because he knows that the process is essential to our purification. So resign yourself to it. Yeah, God wants us to be happy and to enjoy whatever right pleasures life brings our way. But be ready for the conflict too, because it's going to come. Now, there's another verse here in First um, Peter. I want to go back to chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm looking here at verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Conversation means the way we live. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
And if ye call, verse 17, it says, And if ye call on the Father, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Do you know what it means to respect persons? What it means is to show an, an a arbitrary or an unfounded favor to one and, and not show it to another. For example, um, just because your father is a preacher doesn't mean that that's going to get you into heaven. Just because you paid every dollar of tithe and offering you should doesn't mean that that's going to get you into heaven in and of itself. See that? Um, just because we do certain things, that doesn't... No. God is no respecter of persons, and he will judge according to every man's work. The Lord doesn't budge. When it comes to his law, the Lord just doesn't budge. He must have a people who repent of their sins and give them over to him in order to get ready for him. Okay? Now, the Father loves us. Let me just share something with you here. We need to think about the character of God and just the facts of the universe and the facts of morality and the facts of the law of God. If Jesus, God's only beloved Son, by the way, who has always lived, but he's called his Son, he is God eternal himself. But if Jesus had failed in his mission on this earth and been disobedient to the Father's will, he would have been destroyed. You realize that? Because the law of God admits of no uh, breaking. You see that? Christ could have failed in his mission. So God is no respecter of persons. He has a reason for it. All right. Now, another text I want to take you to is uh, Revelation chapter 14. And then we're going to go from here into the, some of the duties of the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7. John says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. What did he have? Having what? The everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The gospel is the good news that a loving God gave his eternal son to die for our sins, to forgive us of our sins, and also to cleanse us of our sins, that we may have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. John says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, so in verse 6, you have the gospel being proclaimed, and then simultaneously, when you go on to verse 7, the angel says, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for what is come. The hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. 
simultaneously at the end of time, John is presenting the fact that while the gospel message is going forward and making its last appeal to the world, simultaneously in the courts of heaven, as it's revealed in Daniel chapter 7 and many other places in the Bible, simultaneously the judgment of God is convened in heaven where all the names of all those who have ever professed Christ are being examined as to whether or not they will be saved or lost. See, death is a solemn thing, but the judgment is even more solemn because death can separate us from our loved ones until the resurrection. The judgment might separate us from our loved ones for eternity. Very solemn. See? So while the gospel message is going simultaneously, there is a work of judgment going on in heaven where Jesus is making an atonement for his people, cleansing them of their sins, and every the case of every record is being examined. Revelation 3.5. Revelation 3, 5. He that overcometh, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So to the overcomer is given the promise that their name will be retained in the books of life and they will be granted eternal life. Okay? I'd like for you to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm looking at verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. In this verse here we're going to look at a text that mentions the judgment Do you know that every single Bible writer refers to the judgment? And it's mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. So for any mind that's had exposure to the Bible, whether they be high in the academic level or low in the academic level, for any mind to deny that there is a judgment is willful ignorance of the Word of God. Okay? the big question for us is how can I be found right in the judgment before God? How can I be found right? And the Bible will tell you. By the way, we only have a few minutes here in church together today. And by the grace of God, I'm going to share with you a few things that I believe you will find to be very helpful in your journey towards the kingdom of God but I would urge you to study and to read the Bible for yourself and drink it in, assimilate it. We have got to digest the word. So it becomes a very part of our thinking. Now I'm going to read this verse to you here in the next one after in just a moment, but I want to refer again to Great Controversy, page 593. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. None. Okay. So, if YouTube or 
whatever else is wasting your time, cut it out. I'm not saying don't ever get on there. I get on there a little bit myself. But there's got to be priorities in our life. We've got to stick with them. One of the ways to fortify your mind with the truths of the Bible is to memorize Bible verses. Another way is to read the same passage over and over and over again. I read myself, I read in the Bible daily, um, and um, I, there are some books of the Bible I've tried to memorize, and, and I go through and read the same chapter four times a, uh, in that day. So I just keep exposing my mind because I need the light. And by the way, not only do I need the light, but I need the strength. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get temptations and I wonder, where in the world are these coming from? Either these are coming from my carnal nature or they're coming from the devil. But I know I know that if I give in to these temptations, I'm sunk. Uh, I mean, the devil's after us. <clears throat> But I love the text that says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. We can choose to be on the right side of the great controversy. If the mind is fortified with the truths of the word of God, it is given such fortification and protection and strength that the enemy cannot get in. Now in the text that we looked at a little bit ago where it says, you endured after you were illuminated. Brothers and sisters, the greatest endurance required of any generation is going to be required of this generation. And thus, to meet that need, the greatest illumination that any generation ever had has been given to this generation. And God is going to illuminate his people correspondingly so that they can stand up against what's coming in the end of time. They are not going to give in. Mm -mm. they will not be intimidated by the papacy or by the evangelical churches to give up the seventh-day Sabbath because they know that Sunday is a false day of worship. It's Babylon's day of worship. And if you look at the creation week from which the Sabbath was derived, the day of the creation week where there was the least possibility of life and the most confusion was the first day of the week, and that is Babylon's Sabbath. The true Sabbath is the seventh day that commemorates God's completed work and his almighty power. And God's people will not give up this, that seal of God that is the sign of their relationship to him. <clears throat> the best Bible that there is, brothers and sisters, and I, I, I've never preached on this, but it just seems like there's so many other subjects that, that need to be talked about. But the regular King James Bible is your very best translation. I could... I mean, the, the information is there to, to demonstrate that. It's also the easiest one to memorize. <clears throat> Hebrews 9.27, it says this. I'm in chapter 9.27, it says this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I'm going to repeat that once more and then look at what it's saying briefly. 
It says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So after men are dead, they are judged. But you realize as we get down to the close of time, near the close of time, it's going to have to switch eventually from the cases of the dead to the living. You realize that. That's going to happen too because there's going to be a group of people alive when Jesus comes. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered. What does that mean? Christ was once offered. He died on the cross for our sins. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here is exactly what Paul is saying in this text. He's saying this. In order to be saved, Jesus must be your sin bearer. He must not only, you must not only have the forgiveness of your sins from him, but you must have the deliverance of sins from him. And when he comes back the second time, he is not dealing with the sin issue. Just the reward. Now, while Jesus is high priest in the most holy place, he is in the process of forgiving his people of their sins, and he is also in the process of cleansing his people from their sins. God is in the process now, not only of examining the records of those of the past, but he's in the process now of cleansing his people on earth from their sins. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He, he bore our sins. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. In other words, when Jesus comes back in glory, he will not be then performing his work as a mediator and as a priest. And as an advocate, that will have been done. He will have purified his people from their sins before that time. Then probation will close and he will come. Amen. Now let me give you a couple of verses. I mean, there, there, is a, there is a wealth. Of, by the way, brothers and sisters, I promise you this, that this holy book that I have here called the Bible is a Seventh-day Adventist book. Adventism, as it was given to us by our pioneers, especially through Ellen White, is the truth of God. So when Jesus comes back, he will not be dealing with sin. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. He that is unjust... Well, it says in the verse before that, and behold, I come quickly, or something like that. Or the, uh, uh, It says the, um, um, the time is at hand. Okay, But then you go to verse 11, it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, the filthy and the unrighteous will stay filthy and unrighteous and the holy and the righteous. There's going to come a point in time where their characters will be fixed for eternity. 
We all have freedom of choice, right? We all have freedom of choice. Even the devil cannot interfere with that unless we give our will over to him. You realize that? How many of you have ever poured cement or watched cement poured? You seen it? Mm-hmm. You can work it for a while, right? But there comes a point when that concrete will not change or budge. Even though all of us have freedom of choice, by the repeated decisions that we are making every day, we are developing our characters in one direction or another, and the time will come, even though we have freedom of choice, we will still stay on either the righteous or the wicked side. That's just the way it is. So it's not an arbitrary declaration by Christ. It is simply a fact. He that is... Holy, let him be holy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. What's exciting is is that Jesus is is going to take the weakest generation and he's going to cleanse them of sin, as he has every other one who's had faith in him. Now, let me quote you a few texts here. This is not a new thing. It's been, the Lord has been doing it all down through the plan of salvation. Hebrews 11.5, Hebrews 11.5. Hebrews 11.5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So he's a type of those who will see the Lord come again. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. What does the text say in the rest of it? For before what? For before his translation, that means when he was here in this world, right? For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Mm -hmm. Did you know that if you're a little eight-year-old or if you're an older 80-year-old, you can please God by having faith in him and depending on him? Not in our own strength, brothers and sisters, but in the strength of Christ. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In this world. Titus chapter 2, starting with round verse 9. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly where? In this present world. Right here and now. By faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, um, maybe around verse 9, beginning with verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, that list includes homosexuality, abusers of themselves with mankind. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Then Paul goes on to say, he says, and such were some 
of you. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are justified, but ye are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If we will stop depending upon ourselves and we will start depending more upon Jesus, we can do, just as the book Great Controversy says in the chapter called Modern Revivals, where it says, we may go to Jesus and be cleansed and stand before the law without shame or remorse. We may go to Jesus and be cleansed and stand before the law without shame or remorse. Our Heavenly Father wants to see His children happy, peaceful, and obedient and believing. We're, we're, too many of us are meandering our way through the Christian experience without the blessings that God will lavish upon us if we'll simply seek for them. Now once, once Christ forgives us, do temptations stop? No, no. And I think it's page 469. I might look it up here if you want to write down the reference. But in the book Great Controversy, it's in the, pa- in the chapter called Modern Revivals, it says this. It says the Christian will feel the prompting to sin. The promptings to sin. The Christian will feel the promptings to sin, but he will maintain a constant warfare against it. Okay? Um, and I think that's page... Yep, page 469, Great Controversy. The Christian will feel the Christian will feel the promptings to sin, but he will maintain a constant warfare against it. <clears throat> Great Controversy 593, I'm going to refer to it again. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. If you ever uh, watch the Olympics, it's every four years. Do you think the last three weeks those athletes started getting ready for that event before it came? No, their whole life was absorbed in developing the preparation for that time. You know, the Lord can help anyone to his kingdom no matter how weak we are. He will help us, but brothers and sisters, we must do our part. We must cooperate. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Sometimes, you know, I spend very little time listening to the radio or watching the Internet or anything, but sometime back I saw a man jump out of the sky. I think his name was Leslie Baumgartner. I think he spent about three or four hours floating up to about a 25-mile height in a balloon, in a capsule. <clears throat> if you look up the highest skydive, you can see it. Um, so he wanted, to, he wanted to make a world record, which he, which he did. But he got up there about 24 miles or so, and he was in communication with some men on the ground, and they, and one of the men who had done skydiving himself, he said, now, Leslie, he said, you need to check this. You need to check your mask, your, your air pressure, your suit. And he went through about 32 different things that the man needed to check before he jumped. You know what? 
we got a checklist we got to live by too. That's just the facts of the matter. Some people will not like that, but that's just the reality of it. We need to have a knowledge of the Word of God and be living by the Word of God. And he jumped. Part of his fall, he was traveling at close to 800 miles an hour. That's craziness. But the Lord was kind to him and he landed on the ground safely. You know what? We're headed through for a hard time and we better have our ducks lined up too. Okay? Um, Now... On the Day of Atonement, you read it in Leviticus 16. It was the it was the most important event of the year, the Day of Atonement. Now, in the Old Testament, we read of the type. In the New Testament, we read, or rather, in the Old Testament, we read of the type. And of course, yeah, in the New Testament. But now we are in the literal thing. We're in the literal Day of Atonement, which the judgment is going on. All right. One of the things that said, one of the duties of the congregation on the Day of Atonement was that they were to gather together in a convocation, a gathering, to be together. Now, I'd like for you to look at, go quickly if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Because Paul speaks to this very point in the end of time. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 and onward. Hebrews 10, 22 and onward. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. If there was ever a time when God's people needed to be pulling together now and encouraging one another in the faith, it is now. It is now. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Do we see the day approaching? Yes. So whatever that means, maybe it's writing a note, maybe it's sending a text, maybe it's giving a phone call, but it's definitely and to encourage another uh, brother or sister in the faith, but it definitely means we need to be getting together to, to encourage one another in the service of God. It was a holy convocation. Another thing that the people were required to do on the Day of Atonement, and that was, is they were to afflict their souls. In other words, it was a day of self-examination and humbling of themselves before God, making sure that all their sins were confessed, making sure that all their sins had been confessed and made right with God and man. They were to afflict their souls. Not only does afflicting your soul mean that um, you are to humble the heart, but afflicting your soul also includes, if you look up Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 and 5, 
It specifically points out the fact that to afflict your soul means to fast, fast. That means to abstain from food. Now, we can't live our whole, we've, the Day of Atonement's been going on since 1844. We can't be living uh, without any food all that time. But there's a principle involved there that we need to apply. Okay? Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about fasting. When you read the the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, you're going to read about two main types of fasting. Right? One is an entire abstinence from food. None. Okay? In fact, Esther not only entirely um, abstained from food, but she also abstained from water for three days. That's not really recommended, but in her case, she did it, and she was there was a very critical time that no food and water for them. But there's two kinds of fasting. One is you completely abstain from food, and the other one is is you eat a very very simple diet to to gather health rejuvenation and improvement in the health, so that your health improves. Okay. Now I want to talk to you about both kinds of fasting. Just briefly. Uh, by the way, I have a, a, a article here. It's about six pages long. It's a hard copy. It's on the subject of fasting. If anybody'd like it, you can have it. I have it right here. And uh, if someone wants it by email, I can send you one. If you give me your email address. <clears throat> First off, I want to talk to you about regular fasting, just abstaining from food. Let me. Here's why fasting is good for you. You know what the first meal of the day is called? So it means what? Break the fast. Okay, here's what fasting is. As soon as your stomach gets empty, your body starts fasting. As soon as the stomach has no more digestive work it needs to do, the body begins fasting. Here's what happens in fasting. As soon as the stomach gets empty, the body starts a cleansing operation in the body that it cannot accomplish while there's food in the stomach to be digested. Okay? Did you know that some people have gotten rid of drugs and DDT and mercury and other things from their system by fasting for a period of days? Literally, because it was lodged in the tissues, locked in the tissues, and by fasting it cleaned it out. When the body is cleaned out, spirituality is improved and heightened. If you would get up in the morning and not eat breakfast, maybe just drink liquid, you will continue the fasting that's going on in the body. If you will also get up in the morning and eat something very simple like fruit, that fasting will still continue. And you'll still get the cleansing effect in the body. Some years back, I lived next to a neighbor. He grew absolutely wonderful watermelons, and I lived on nothing but watermelon for seven days. And I really enjoyed it, and it really did a lot of cleansing in my system. But if the body is cleaner, then spirituality is improved, and it makes us more receptive to the Spirit of God. Okay? Now there's another kind of there's another kind of fasting and that is a simple diet. 
Now, all I can do here is just share a few ideas with you, but I hope that what little bit I share with you today uh, will simply, I'm not making a, a I'm not making a prescription per se or whatever. I'm just trying to simply share some ideas with you that you can gather together and try and apply them to your life. I think some time back I told you about uh, Charlotte Gerson's father, who was a doctor in Germany. I told you that story. That interested me. Um, and what happened was is this, this physician, he's a physician, had these horrendous migraine headaches and nobody could help him. No physicians could help him. And he, he, someone said, well, maybe in 30 years I'll be gone. He thought, I can't bear that thought. So he studied until he came to the idea. Well, he, he decided, for, and maybe it was maybe a couple months. I don't know how long it was. But he lived on nothing but apples, and he was completely cured. Okay, a simple diet. He was completely cured. Other people came to him, and they said, well, I've got migraine headaches. He said, well, I don't know if this will help you, but this is what I did. I'm fine. And one man came back after a month, and he said, well, he said, after four weeks of living on apples, he said, not only are my terrible migraine headaches cured, he said, but I had this skin problem called um, uh, skin tuberculosis, which is like a lupus, and it causes lesions in the skin. He said, I am completely cured of that problem, too, after four weeks. If you eat a more simple diet, you will have a better spirituality, and you will be able to think more clearly and it will really help spirituality. In other words, you become more susceptible to the Spirit of God. Now I want to share with you a quote from the book Education, then I want to go to the book of uh, Luke chapter 21, where Jesus gives some um, guidance and information. By the way, I want to mention to you another incident. Or something I was watching. I watch YouTube a little bit. I just saw the testimony of a man who was overweight and he was clinically depressed. Clinically depressed, overweight, plus he had addictions. And he got influenced by Dr. McDougall. You know what he decided to do? He decided to live on nothing but potatoes for 12 months. I'm not saying you have to live on potatoes for 12 months, and I'm not saying you have to live on apples for two months. I'm not saying that, but I'm just sharing these stories to give you an illustration. The man lived on potatoes for 12 months, and he lost 110 pounds. He had a no fat to his potatoes. He would add some seasoning, boiled, mashed, baked. But he experienced wonderful improvement and re- rejuvenation in his health by going on a very simple diet. By the way, you can live on potatoes. And by the way, brothers and sisters, we have been told that we need to get out of the cities where we can grow a garden in the end of time because the problem of buying and selling is going to become a difficult one. Do everything you can to get out of the cities. May God help us on that point. When it comes to surviving as far as food goes, you can live on potatoes if you have to, and you don't even have to buy the seed because if you have a proper place to keep the potatoes, when the next year comes around, you can take your leftovers, put them in the garden, and they'll grow again. You don't even have to buy the seed. It's a wonderful, self-supporting, self-sustaining crop. So we need to become better at... at, uh, at gardening. Hmm. 
Here's a statement here on the book education page 209. It says this. The brain nerves that connect with the whole system, the brain nerves, so we have brain nerves that connect with our entire body, are the medium through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. So the brain nerves that connect with our whole body is the medium through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. You know, God can speak in our ear audibly as we speak in one another's ears, but he, he doesn't operate that way. Here's what happens, is especially when we're in prayer or in the study of the word. This, these things especially bring us directly into connection with divine agencies, that is the Holy Spirit and angels, and they impress truth upon our minds. And the better the condition of our health, the better reception our minds and our bodies receive these things. And it actually has a transforming, sanctifying effect on the entire person. But if there's, if the bloodstream has a lot of uh, debris in it or, or waste, then that, that process is hindered. Okay? And that's why you want to get as healthy as you can. The brain nerves that connect with the whole system are the medium through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. Whatever hinders the circulation of the electric current in the nervous system, thus weakening the vital powers and lessening mental susceptibility, makes it more difficult to arouse the moral nature. By the way, if we will gain victory over appetite, and we can gain victory over appetite by the grace of God, and we must, it takes some experimenting. But if we gain the victory over appetite, we will gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. You, you, you'll get it. You'll get it. God will help you to get it. But if you don't have the victory over the tongue and the appetite, you won't get the victory otherwise. Don't fall for Satan's trap of sensuality in these last days, brothers and sisters. The devil is trying to sell sin at a high speed level, more tantalizing than ever before. But if you will read the word of God and see what sin is all about, you will abhor it and run from it. I'd like for you to go to Luke chapter 21. Uh, Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> this is a passage where Jesus is talking about his second coming and the duties of God's people. Luke chapter 21, I'm looking at verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. And cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Do you know what surfeiting is? It's too much. Jesus is talking about food here. It's too much food. It's too much food. By the way, if you want to help, if you want some tips on helping you control your appetite, one thing is get exercise. If you get exercise, that'll help you regulate your appetite. You'll be in better tune with your appetite. Get exercise. Be as active as you can. Another thing is, is if you need to, drink a large glass of water before you eat. That'll help calm your hunger. All those things help. Take heed to yourselves, lest any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. Surfeiting is overeating. Drunkenness is taking in the wrong kind of food. Obviously, also drink, uh, drinking alcoholic beverages and things that are bad for you. 
Take heed to yourselves, lest any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. I want to look at the rest of the text in a moment. I remember some time back, I think it was Dr. Thrash, was telling about a man who was in attendance at Uchi Pines Institute. The man was a vegetarian, but when they checked his blood level, he had the blood level of an alcoholic. Just because you're not drinking alcoholic beverages doesn't mean that you're not defiling your body with wrong food combinations, overeating, lack of exercise, whatever it may be. Okay? Fasting is a way to very quickly clean out the system. Try it sometime. Try it for a day. Yeah, it's not easy necessarily, but try it for a day. It'll clean you out and make you feel better. Promise. But Jesus says here, he says, Take heed to yourselves, lest any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, that is too much food, drunkenness, the wrong kind of food, and what else? Cares of this life. You know, we all need, we all have jobs, we all have duties, we got to pay our electric bill and whatever else we have to do in life. You know, we're raised, some of us are raising babies and I mean, we, life is on us. But you know what? We have to stay off those pressures and stay mainly focused on getting ready for Christ's coming. Yes, the Lord knows we need to do our everyday duties and he will help us with those things. It's not a sin to be a mother or to go to work or whatever. Those things aren't sin, but don't let them preoccupy you to the point of diverting you from being ready for Christ's coming. And cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares for as a snare shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now watch verse 36. Verse 36. Watch ye therefore, we have to be constantly watching, watch ye therefore and pray always on our knees and off our knees, we should be praying often. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy. Do you see that? Right there, Jesus is referring to investigative judgment that ye may be accounted worthy. In other words, our names are going to come up and heaven will account us worthy. These are people that are dedicated. They're like Gideon's army. They're devoted and we can uh, use them to give the last message and they are safe to save because they are totally trusting in God. They are accounted worthy. They are judged worthy because they are trusting in the merits of Christ, trusting in his righteousness, trusting in his power to give them power to obey. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I, some little bit of logic just came to my mind. I think that clock has not yet been changed. Is that right? Is that right? Or, okay. So, oh, okay. I'm gonna wrap. I'll wrap this up. Sorry about that. Um, I'm reading here from the book Councils on Diets and Foods. Just a little bit. This is page 187. And, and, and this, by the way, this quote applies to now. This quote applies to now. When the time shall come in the providence of God for the world to be tested upon the truths for that time, minds, minds, that is people, will be exercised by His Spirit to search the scriptures even with fasting and with prayer until link after link is searched out and united in a perfect chain 
Every fact which immediately concerns the salvation of souls will be made so clear that none need err or walk in darkness. In other words, what this is predicting, and I believe that time is now, is, is that there will be, uh, be people who are receptive to the Spirit of God, and they will cooperate with the Spirit of God by fasting, either literal fasting or a more simple diet and all the things that go with it, so their minds are more clear, and they're going to really get digging into the Word, searching out the Word, and then they will become educated so that they can educate others and preach the message as it really is in the last days. Their minds will be clear. They'll be able to preach the Word of God because they know what the Word of God says. You can make much more rapid progress if your mind is clear in studying the Word of God. Difficult points of present truth have been reached by the earnest efforts of a few who were devoted to the work. Fasting and fervent prayer to God have moved the Lord to unlock His treasuries of truth to their understanding. Excellent section on fasting. I'm happy to know that you don't need me to know what truth is, right? Isn't that wonderful? You don't need me. You don't need any man to know what truth is. Because you know why? You've got your Bibles and you've got the Holy Spirit if you will seek for it, and he will be your teacher. Isn't that wonderful? I'm going to wrap it up now, and I'm going to read you a quote, and then we'll be done. I have shared with you in the past that the Book Ray Controversy is especially dedicated to the 144,000. Okay? It's, it's your handbook. Read it, study it, drink it in. 593, none but those who have fortified their mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. 593. Now I'm going to read you a whole paragraph here. Please listen to it. Very interesting. Before his crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he was to be put to death and to rise again from the tomb. So Jesus explained to his disciples he was going to die and rise again from the tomb. And angels were present to impress his words on minds and hearts. But the disciples were looking for temporal deliverance, that is worldly deliverance from the Roman yoke, and they could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. The words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds. Do you know what banished means? It means it just flies away. I want to say something here for a moment. <clears throat> you know, they say it takes about 10 minutes to teach someone how to skydive. 10 minutes. But the class doesn't last that long. The class lasts for hours and days. You know why? Because they have to drill the information into the person's mind. Look, if you're jumping out of an airplane and something goes wrong, you can't say, oh, no, something's going wrong. I've got to pull out my manual here and say, see what to do. You don't even have time for that. You see that? Right? Uh, exactly. So we have got to, our minds have to be, we can, the truth has to be so fully embedded, thank you for the word, embedded in the mind that when the time of pressure comes, it's there and that's how you act. You see? 
But the disciples didn't like to hear what Jesus had to say. And because of that, they, they didn't value it much. And when the, when the test came, they blew it. Okay? Except they had second chance. We don't have second chance this time. Listen to this. They could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. The words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus as fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. The death of Jesus destroyed their hopes as fully as if he had not forewarned them. The, and then it says this, So in the prophecies of the future, so in the prophecies the future is opened before us as plainly as it was opened to the disciples by the words of Christ, plainly revealed in the prophecies of the future. The events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. But multitudes have no more understanding of these important truths than if they had never been revealed. Satan watches to catch away every impression that would make them wise unto salvation, and the time of trouble will find them unready. Great Controversy 594. Okay? So, in his kindness, Jesus has given us a message this morning. There is nothing more important than the three angels' messages and getting ready for Christ's soon coming. Nothing more important. And after Paul said in Hebrews 10, you endured after you were illuminated, he concluded the chapter by saying, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. May God keep you victorious and in the faith and in one of his dear children on this earth till the day of God is my prayer. May the Lord grant that we will meet in his earth made new in the kingdom of God before his throne. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing else to live for. May God bless you. Heavenly Father, we want to thank thee so much for the wonderful three angels' messages. These messages we know are the bread of life for a perishing world. And they point to us, to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, who is an all-powerful mediator. And as your word has said, that he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4, to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we thank you for the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his power as Savior and mediator. And we thank you that you have an immortal, eternal life for all those who will trust in you. Allow thee to cleanse them of their sins and to so live an obedient life by dependence upon thee in this world. I pray, dear Lord, that you help us to put on the armor, that you help us to fight the good fight, that you help us to trust completely in 
the promises of your word that we may be partakers of the divine nature. And I earnestly pray for all in this place of worship today. Those who are struggling, those who are weary, those who are discouraged, that they will look again to the door of the sanctuary in heaven where Jesus is interceding for us and realize that all heaven is interested in their salvation and that all the grace and help that we need is there. Lord, help us to hold on to your word as never before. Help us to get out this message as never before and to live for thee as never before because we know certainly for yet a little while he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We thank you for hearing our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.